Podcast. What up and welcome to Or Whatever Movies. I'm your co-host, Iris, and I'm here with my older brother. Wesley, hi. And today we're talking about Knives Out, which is also nominated for Best Original Screenplay at the Academy Awards. And I think it was nominated for Best Picture, Golden Globes. Golden Globes don't matter. Yeah, you say that, but 1917's box office like tripled after they won. Yes, the Golden Globes are influential, but they can be bought and they can be manipulated. So remember how earlier you were talking about how people confuse Matt Damon and Mark Wahlberg? There are certain people I know that do that, yes. <laughs> I don't know how, but I mixed up Ryan Johnson with the dude who directed Drive. With Nicholas Winning Refn? Yep. And I went into Knives Out thinking that this was a Nicholas Winding Refn movie. So bracing yourself for suck? No. You don't like Drive? Oh, that dude sucks. Ryan Gosling is fine to watch. He's the only person who can carry off movies by that boring director. Once heralded as the next big thing, where is he now? Exactly. Did Nicholas Winding Refn direct Blue Valentine? No, which was a good movie. Which was mm-hmm. also... Ryan Gosling. Who's so hot. Ryan Gosling is a very good actor. And hot. And hot, sure. This is the other guy, the no, Star Wars guy. I was expecting, yeah. Uh, I went in expecting that this was going to be a really exciting movie. I knew it was a whodunit, but beyond that, not much more. And it was boring. Really? It was an ensemble of character actors. You know, some who have definitely stepped into their own. Jamie Lee Curtis, probably most notably Daniel Craig. I mean, Daniel Craig and Jamie Lee Curtis are pretty big actors. Michael Shannon. It was weird. It was like full of all the character actors that I kind of don't like. <laughs> Michael Shannon in particular uh, creeps Kelly out. I would say that this is, I mean, because I saw 99 Homes and even General Zod and Superman, especially The Shape of Water, right. all super skeevy, slimy dudes. Yeah. This was his goatee, sweater-wearing, toned-down character. Now, granted, when he cornered her in the hallway and was trying to convince her that he was the one who should help her manage this money to get it back to the family, he was a little bit devious in his intentions, but this was the same Michael Shannon as far as I was concerned. Huh. Well, just because he wasn't frenetic didn't mean he wasn't skeevy. That's true. I mean, I don't know. He, I kind of felt like he might attack her in the hallway with like his cane and stuff. That's only because he was Michael Shannon. And he comes with that skeevy reputation. Yeah, but that character, I don't know, was ever going to attack her. Um, I don't know. I mean, that was quite aggressive to, like, meet her all unexpectedly in that closed hallway. Yeah. I know. Like, I, I, I can imagine that this would be an ensemble that people would be excited about. But, um, like, everyone was recognizable to me. And I kind of, and I, and, and no, and I really didn't like, like anybody. That was the thing. Okay. So maybe it wasn't so much about the actors, but character wise, everybody in this film is unlikable. Even the nurse character? Even Marta Cabrera? Yes. Ana de Armas? Yes. Yeah. I mean, she was kind of annoying in her, in her faux innocence. And that she, oh, so she, she was so good of heart and she wanted nothing from the old rich dude. And she was such a good nurse that she gave him the right medication, even though the labels were switched. I think she was good as the knitted brows, distressed sort of heroine type. Um, do you not think that some of these characters were unlikable because we were going to have to turn suspicion on them and choose sides 
when it came to who controlled, ultimately controlled the old guy's money. It's like, so we were supposed to not like them? Right. The characters, I will agree, no one was really likable. And the fact that you don't particularly like or care for or look forward to seeing the actors in a movie, that might have colored the characters. Yeah. Who, none of them were meant to be the standouts as, oh, I really like them. I hope they will receive the money. That's true. They all kind of presented themselves as holier than thou, upper class, uh, people who came from money, who were trying to do their own things with varying degrees of success and integrity. And when it all comes down to it, they were all ready to squabble and scrap over dollars. Okay, well, to use that logic, we would have been rooting for and therefore liked Daniel Craig, which I didn't either. Why was Daniel Craig trying to like channel Frank Underwood? I never watched House of Cards. Oh. So all the characters in these movie in this movie were caricatures to an extent. Um, they all fit in, they were all part of the tropes of whodunits, right? Somewhat funny uh, and definitely larger than life. They were all each meant to represent a type, right? Would you agree to that? Sure. Um, I think it was lining them up so that there was the hapless Clouseau, um, Columbo type inspector who's deceptively stupid, right? Mm -hmm. Who really has it all going under the surface. Mm -hmm. But kind of like Cabin in the Woods, all those tropes were set up, not necessarily to be knocked down, but to be acknowledged. And this is what we're trying to do, but we're trying to have fun with it kind of way. Like a um, scary movie or I Know What You Did Last Summer? Not in parody territory, but definitely Chris Evans played the sort of Robert Downey Jr. Iron Man role where when things are silly, he'll point it out and make fun of them. In this movie, they directly referenced Clue and other whodunit type of movies. I think they even talked about OJ at one point. Um, right. And, and he said to Daniel Craig's character, uh, Benoit, what's with the foghorn leghorn? Yeah. Like, that's pretty aware. Kentucky Fried Accent. Right. And now when it comes to this kind of performance, when you get self-referential and become self-aware, it kind of sort of only adds to the parody sometimes. Yeah. Like, it's a wink. He might as well have looked directly at the camera and winked. But that wasn't the case. It kind of made it, for me, it helped me to settle into this certainly unbelievable premise and just kind of have fun with it. Um, by acknowledging that there's no way we can make these characters really serious. Uh, or really viable suspects. No one was really a suspect. Honestly, because of my predilection for going into movies with no need to figure out exactly what's going to happen before it happens, just convince me, just carry me away. I went in thinking, okay, this is going to be a fairly standard whodunit. Ryan Johnson not really in the best position to sell his wares at the moment, but came into a pretty routine whodunit and was a little bit worried about how much I was going to be transported. I expected to be bored, and I wasn't. I expected to not care who the suspects were, and there were enough twists and turns and enough to keep it peppy and clever that I was convinced that maybe they can pull this off in a way that's entertaining, if not necessarily realistic or sure. practical. Sure. It all comes, this movie definitely comes down to having fun with who we get to relish the characters getting their just desserts. Hmm. I was transported enough so that I really wanted to find out who did it, waiting for them to drop the ball across the board. Gonna be like, okay, here's a scene where they screwed this movie up, and that scene never came for me. 
Okay, so best original screenplay nominee. Because of that nomination, I really paused and thought about this film and maybe had some empathy for it. Like, okay, I get it. These are really hard to pull off. The plot, the mystery is gonna be under a lot of scrutiny and I'm no exception, I was really scrutinizing it. I had a lot of problems with things that were, I thought were convenient, but they're really hard to do. And I could feel the filmmakers juggling with that. There were a lot of repetitive beats. In some cases, new information was being revealed, but that new information, the vehicle for that new information was kind of having to rehash things that we had already gone over. Like for example, Anna Darmus tells him everything that went down. And that's the first time we get the story, like the true story, but then we have to rehash it later. Because we don't know whether or not it's the true story. But she's our unable to lie protagonist. Literally unable to lie, right. Um, does that make her still a reliable narrator, especially given that we may have gotten this from Ransom's perspective? Was this a recollection from Ransom? Was it a flashback when she told him? It seemed like it was the visualization of her narrative. Anyway, I mean, we had to retell that story a couple different times, and then Daniel Craig's character rehashes the entire thing at the end, and they did, they, they did achieve something. But then, because it's so hard and it's so complicated, I think they had to take some liberties with coincidences that were, they poked, it poked too many holes in the boat for me. The blood on the shoe, the fact that so-and-so's cousin works at the records department, the fact that Ransom, this educated, insulated, rich boy, would like bomb a government building and not get caught, like not have cameras or <laughs> like, any, like, there was no security. Like, these things seemed really implausible to me and a little convenient. Okay, I understand what you're saying. I, I feel like they're, it's almost as though they are sort of super villains on trial. You know what I mean? When each one is devious. Each one has their own, it's a, their own power in turn, and they get away with fantastical things. And now they're all pitted against one another for the, for the, for the, for the, for the, for the money. Um, maybe that's a bad analogy. But I felt like... Certainly, Ransom's past misdeeds were, it just kind of set him up as the rogue character, as the maverick character in this family, for sure. Um, were they plausible? No. Was the rest of the movie entirely plausible? No, not necessarily. It just sort of fit in with what they were trying to do. I was not at all surprised that there were false windows, possibly trap doors, secret chambers, all that kind of stuff. All that comes with the territory. Um, and coming in, I was, yeah, just really hoping that it could convince me. And I'm trying to think of what to equate it to. It's sort of like getting in a car or maybe a plane where all the stakes are there with someone that you know is a pilot and has definitely flown planes before, but maybe you've never been in this kind of plane with this kind of pilot. And you're going, and, you know, they're like doing their little tricks and maneuvers and all you want to do is get to the ground safely. It doesn't matter how good a, pilot, a trick stunt pilot you are if you don't make it to the ground safely. So when you do, it legitimizes everything that they did, right? They, all the loops and all the flips, it doesn't matter because anyone can loop or flip and then crash, right? But if you perform all these tricks with, as you said, a very difficult style of movie to do and then you land the plane, you're like, oh, thank goodness. And you're like, you know what? 
actually a kind of a pretty good pilot. And I, that's kind of how I feel about this movie and about Ryan Johnson in particular, who has done this sort of uh, detective noirish sort of movie. Uh, maybe not quite a, a whodunit to, to comic effect as, as much as this one is, but I, I have to think that this is kind of the dude's strong suit. This is his sweet spot where he can take complicated movies and make them entertaining, plausible enough that we can suspend disbelief and get through it so that at the end we're like, you know what, that was pretty good. And that's the way I felt about Knives Out. A lot of tricks, I was willing to overlook them and I was really happy with the outcome. I was more relieved than anything that he never dropped the ball or the plates or whatever you want the analogy to be. Because we know what each one of these dishes looks like. And when he gets them spinning, you're like, just don't drop them. Just don't drop them. And you forget how typical or how cheap these Ikea plates may have been when he puts them up on the sticks. Yeah, I'm going really deep on this one. <laughs> but at the end of the movie, I was really excited for Ryan Johnson's accomplishment. I thought all that Star Wars stuff is forgiven. This is where he belongs. This is his sweet spot in being able to make small movies feel important and be dynamic and be clever. Uh, even when we're dealing with old tropes. He breathes some new life into the sort of crime gangster drama with Brick. Uh, I thought that Looper was a good movie uh, and, and kind of twisty and unconventional a role for Bruce Willis. And, and this one, but what I have to say is that all of them feel grimy and kind of gross, a little bit slimy. So I, I did come out of this movie excited and was willing to give it a totally good rating. That has since dropped. We are now firmly in all right territory, to tip my hand, and it's because as much as I appreciated the performances and the story and how well it was executed, it doesn't sit very well in my memory. It doesn't feel like a movie I'm itching to watch again. Sure. Well, to use your plane analogy, it sounded like your primary response to this film was that of relief when it was over, that the plane landed, he pulled it together, and because of that success, like it worked. The loops and the twists and the turns and stuff like that. But relief isn't an exhilarating feeling. Or I mean, it can be. It can be one of the most exhilarating feelings, depending on the stakes. Um, but it's not a lasting feeling. Ryan Johnson took a lot of flack for The Last Jedi, one of the highest reviewed Star Wars movies, but a lot of problems. And he definitely dropped some of the balls or some of the plates that J.J. Abrams had set up, and thus Disney had set up, didn't care. Wanted to do his own thing, made his own movie, very polarizing in that way, so I wasn't excited about Knives Out. I was dreading it a little bit, given that it felt like not so much a return to form as it did a fall from grace. He was, a, he was the dude who directed Star Wars, and now he's doing a small little ensemble whodunit thriller all set in one house. Life is hard, but finding a really great podcast makes the days go by so much easier. Hi, my name is Blue Tulusma. I'm a writer, an emotional intelligence coach, and the host of Humanize with Blue Tulusma, a podcast where we believe that when you humanize everyone in the room, a great conversation is almost guaranteed. Join us every week here on Electricast as me and my guest co-hosts unpack big topics and interview even bigger personalities with a sense of humor and a dash of mischief. If you're looking for a new best friend in your head, we've got you covered. Electricast. Seemed kind of strange to me. Hmm. It wasn't quite all set in one house. But 
so I was like, just pull off. Look, if you're going to retain your credibility as a filmmaker here, you've got to knock this one out of the park because there's nothing, you know, the Star Wars universe is an unwieldy one and it comes with fan expectations. Well, this one doesn't. Wholly uh, original. You had a lot of people backing you. Let's see if you can carry it all the way through. Let's see if you can bring it home. And I thought he did. That said, his style as a filmmaker and his sort of tone has a little underbelly, an undercurrent of slime to me and doesn't feel very good. Like Looper, I thought was a good movie at the time. Um, revisiting it makes me feel kind of icky. Mm-hmm. So maybe my enthusiasm has waned just sort of naturally. But yeah, I was my rating has dropped a little bit and... I'm not entirely sure why. It's maybe through no fault of anybody involved. Just tonally, it felt kind of gross. You know what I keep coming back to and I don't know why? It's Captain America in like a stark white sweater, all bulky and gross. Like he's just so like good looking, but slicked back and smarmy and giant. He's like the Kanye West of this movie and I hate him so ferociously. And yet I think Chris Evans did a good job in, in and I don't know that Chris Evans was was really a dynamic actor. He's been in some good roles, but this one, especially being his post his first post Captain America role that I can think of, um, I thought he did a fine job. It's difficult to say whether Daniel Craig did a good job. It was such a caricature that I wonder if it was hard to do. That if he really or he just kind of went for it, you know. Because if, if Daniel Craig went all methody and got all involved <laughs> as the Benoit <laughs> character, I think maybe he did it wrong. Because it was, it, you know, and definitely it was more silly than anything, but definitely effective for this kind of role. It just felt like these weird uh, multi-layered characters, like it was Daniel Craig channeling Frank Underwood to be Benoit the detective, or it was uh, Chris Evans channeling Homelander from The Boys to be Ransom. I felt like everybody had a good time making this movie, right? Not a whole lot of stretching, some cool costumes, a cool set, uh, an interesting script to work with. There is one person actor-wise that I want to point out that did a good job though. So Lakeith Stanfield, he was the middleman who brought Kevin Garnett playing himself to Adam Sandler in Uncut Gems. And I was like, that's the dude from Uncut Gems. And I was really shocked by his performance very controlled, restrained, uh, sort of put out by having to listen to all these rich people bitch about not getting a little bit more money, you know, from their dad. Um, he was really our representative, I felt like. Right. And he was universal in that role in that he had to be patient and that he had to kind of follow every, ra- go down every rabbit hole that was presented to him. And I really liked him. It was just so contrary to his other standout performances here that I felt he deserved mentioning. Yeah, I'm glad you did. I mean, maybe we'll be hearing more from Lakeith. 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 What else about? Um, well, I wanted to know, um, I wanted to know your response to the trick knife. Oh, um, I sort of went with it. I didn't know that it was a trick knife going in, (laughs) get it, going in. But by that point, I was convinced enough to suspend disbelief that I was like, yeah, all right, it's a trick knife. And they went, yeah. I mean, they had to show it, right? Right. Just just to be very, just a bag of hammers clear. I was thinking like that they had fun making that scene. And when they all read the script, 
or maybe even when I would have read the script, I would have been like, ha ha, that's so cute, oh my God, trick nine. <laughs> and I felt like everyone was like laughing to themselves. And for me, it, man, I sound like such a complainy, I sound so complainy and hard on this film. Like I really did feel some empathy for it, but um, it, for me, I think that sometimes details can really get the better of me and they can kind of mar my whole feeling about a film, like false notes or story device that doesn't quite work. Unfortunately, I kind of think that, and maybe I'll get over this, but I kind of feel like those things really affect my overall feelings about a film. I don't know, I mean, Knives Out was boring, but um, it wasn't bad. There were just some pieces that didn't work. I know what you're saying. I think we're alike in that way. We say, I hate a film, and we've become more refined over the years, but definitely, I hated that thing. You see how dumb it was that they did this thing? That's not, wasn't realistic at all. Right. You know? And uh, you definitely felt that way about when you were wrong about Ford versus Ferrari. But in this movie, I think it was a whole setup of circus characters who were all meant to be silly and funny, and how can you be surprised by the trick knife? Um, I think it's not dissimilar from Ford versus Ferrari in that there were there were issues that I had with this movie. There were some things I didn't like, some characters that I didn't like, maybe even some actors that I didn't like that I was carried away enough so that I felt like for what they were trying to do, you have to be aware, and this movie is very aware of itself, but you have to be aware of what they're trying to do. This is a movie of a type, and there have been many that have preceded it to lesser effectiveness, right? Um, as a whodunit, which is an established genre, this was an effective one because I didn't know who did it, because it surprised me, because the conclusion was satisfactory, and so all the little nitpicking that I can do after the fact, if I were to watch it again, which I will likely not, I was able to gloss over. Yeah, hard movie to pull off. I agree with you that he did, that it came together. I likewise didn't see the murderer coming, or the smoking gun or whatever. I didn't see bending being what it was. I have to say it was satisfying to see Marta standing on the balcony with the mug in her hand as the entire family looked up at her. It was, it was satisfying that Jamie Lee Curtis got the secret note from her dad. Like some of these moments were very satisfying. Yeah, and not quite, not too heavy handed, right? right? She didn't point to the mug and say, look at the mug, did you read the mug? There was just enough of a glimpse before we cut that we were reminded, yeah. right? I think maybe that should be the operative word here and it should stand in as the review uh, assessment of this movie. Maybe satisfying is the right word. And satisfying is not, it necessitates recognition of a need that was present and we were satisfied enough with this movie that it made it a worthwhile venture. Yeah, yeah, maybe not an imperative film, but fun. And like a, like Westerns, probably important to keep the genre alive. Yeah, I'll go with that. I like Westerns. Yeah, I think there's still a place for them in movie land. And certainly ways to do it wrong. Now, if only someone could figure out how to do Peter Pan or Tarzan right, that would be good. Because they keep churning those out and we haven't had a good Peter Pan or Tarzan movie in decades. Hook? Decades. Hook was 1990. Some of the people listening to this podcast, thank you, we love you, were not even, were not even a thought yet when Hook was released. I feel really old right now. Yep. I feel old and I feel kind of bitter. I feel like on the next episode, I'm gonna try and keep it a little bit more positive. Okay. Because um, I do love movies. There, were, there was a lot to appreciate. 
about Knives Out, and I was poo-pooing it a little bit. Still boring, but I was unfair. It's like being a people person. You can love people, but the more people you experience, you learn to avoid certain people because of certain traits. We hate because we love. Uh, <laughs> and on that note, that's our discussion about Knives Out. Uh, we'd love to hear what you think. Thank you for listening. Let us know what you think. Give us a call, 818-835-0473, or email us at orwhatevermovies at gmail.com. Until then, we'll see you next time. Welcome, explorers of the human experience. This is Let's Talk Soul, and I'm your host, Claudia Monticelli. We're not afraid of the great mysteries of existence here. Soul versus consciousness, we're on it. Spirituality versus science, we've got that covered too. Join us in navigating these profound topics with wisdom, curiosity, and a dash of audacity. Whether you're a spiritual veteran or just starting your journey, Let's Talk Soul is your passport to the unknown. Let's Talk Soul, diving into the depths of the human spirit. Subscribe now wherever you get your podcasts. Electric Acid. Welcome to the Candle Power Hour. Come with us backstage, behind the scenes of show business spanning over four decades and bringing you the experiences that can only be told by the people who were there. Our guests are from the A-list, the F-list, and everyone in between. Get set for some of the most insane, hilarious, and inspiring stories you will ever hear. I'm Mercury. And I'm Diego. Your host for the, the Candle, Candle Power, Power Hour. Hour.